I'm Steve Shapiro, and this is Experience Matters. Welcome to Experience Matters, the podcast that explores the life-changing childhood experiences that go on to shape our adult identities. Sometimes we experience breakthrough learning in schools, but often our most profound learning happens outside the classroom, sometimes outside the school environment altogether. We'll explore those powerful learning experiences here and think about the implications for how we can reshape American schools. Education can take many forms, but whatever form it takes, experience matters. Kaya Woodford is a 2019 Bexley grad and co-founding board member of BARP, the Bexley Anti-Racism Project. Her fiery speeches at a series of rallies in the wake of George Floyd's murder ignited great passion for the anti-racist cause, challenging her peers and her elders alike to consider the role of explicit and implicit racism in our schools and in our community. I love talking with Kaya and the other young leaders of BART because they're living proof of the enormous potential that young people have to be leaders and agents of social change. At the same time, I'm challenged to consider how well we, as educators, are doing at developing and nurturing that potential. In the conversation you're about to hear, Kaya talks about gaining most of the skills and knowledge she has used as an activist from activities outside the classroom, from extracurricular activities, or from personal research. The conversation challenges us to think about what would it look like if social studies education was explicitly built around helping young people identify issues of great concern and then developing the knowledge, skills, and habits of working for social change in those areas. Kaya Woodford is an exceptional leader and a model for the kind of engaged citizen activist that we need more of if we hope to keep our democracy strong. Kaya Woodford, welcome to Experience Matters. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to talk with you. I, I want to begin by just telling you how much I admire and appreciate the work that you and the folks at BARP are doing. It's been a pretty wild year. Definitely. I've never experienced anything like this from navigating the difficulties that have been presented by the pandemic and doing the social work within that. It's just an experience I'll never forget, and it's still going on. Did you see yourself as an activist when you were younger? Like when you were in middle school or high school, did you anticipate playing this kind of role in your young adult life? Not necessarily in the way that it has manifested itself today. I've been involved in student council since middle school. So working within an organization with other students, a collaborative effort has always been part of my life, but nothing of this magnitude. What was your social justice consciousness as a middle school and high school kid? How how deeply aware were you of race or how much were you thinking about that as a concern for yourself? I think growing up in Bexley as a black woman, you can't ignore the fact that there aren't many other students who look like you. I mean, I first confronted the ways in which I was different, probably second grade. I went to Montrose Elementary and um, there was an incident with another little girl and I was called something that I shouldn't have been. But I mean, that just opens your eyes to the world around you. And my parents raised me in a house full of other my other black siblings, you know, so we all had to understand that we're functioning in a world that wasn't necessarily designed to prepare us for the utmost success. So when you were in high school, say, were you feeling outcast, set aside, not respected, or that the system wasn't working for you? It's more implicit insofar as there aren't many other students in advanced courses that look like me or come from the same background. And 
in turn, I feel a burden on my shoulders to perform to a standard that represents my entire race in a positive way. So you were carrying this kind of burden of representation mm-hmm. through your experience, and, and that was kind of a weight on your shoulders. As Absolutely. You- I mean, the work itself, I mean, AP classes, they're challenging enough, but to feel like you have to perform to a certain level so as not to perpetuate any stereotypes, that's another challenge. Sure, that you're always kind of, it's always in the back of your head. Mm-hmm. It's always an extra. Well, and you're reminded when you're sitting in your like what, AP Euro class and look around and no one else looks like you. <laughs> you notice that. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So what was the whole genesis of BARP, the Bexley Anti-Racism Project? I mean, where was the, where was the kind of initial seed that started this? The initial seed, it was actually high school graduates from the class of 2017 we were kind of doing similar work and different facets. I would say I was downtown. As soon as there were protests at the state house, I was there in the mix of it. And there was tear gas and there was the cavalry that was out. And I've never experienced anything like that. And it's like right downtown. I grew up there. So I was there every day protesting. And the students from the class of 2017, they were thinking like, oh, we want to do something in Bexley. And they reached out to me and said, like, we've seen that I started to garner a little bit of public attention from the speeches I made at the state house or the activism that I was demonstrating downtown. They're like, we want to found an organization in Bexley and um, try to support that same work more locally in our community. And so together we founded the Bexley Anti-Racism Project. Anna Schottenstein was also part of that process. And from there, we coined the term the Bexley Anti-Racism Project and decided for our first event to hold a march, which started right across from CSG. And we marched to the State House, and it garnered the support of around like a thousand people, community members. And we got Mayor Kessler to speak and community members to speak. Students spoke as well. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. It was very interesting in the fact that it felt almost like a sports event. It was interesting. We did the (laughs) I believe that we will win chant as we were marching and it was just the collective nature of the effort. I think that was very inspiring. Everyone was there for the same cause, for justice, protesting racism that, I mean, if you live in Bexley, you know that it's an issue here. It's not necessarily as explicit in other places, although with the George Floyd Brotherhood, I mean, that was a demonstration of an explicit aggression, which is disappointing, most definitely. But here, I would say it's systematic as opposed to explicit instances. And and that day had, I mean, it was a really huge turnout. I mean, the crowd kind of took over Broad Street, Mm -hmm. walking all the way to downtown. That wasn't planned either. We had to take a different route because there were just so many people. And the the speeches, I think, were really well received and people were super attentive as you and others spoke. It must have felt very empowering. And I wonder if at the time, if you thought this is going to be the mark of a change or if you felt trepidation like this is a great day, but is there going to be action to follow? I would say both. It felt surreal in the moment. It just felt like that was where I was meant to be at the time and I was doing what I was meant to be doing. I mean, I never formally saw myself in the position of a leader, but I feel like when you speak to your personal experience, that's a demonstration of leadership and courage and being able to position yourself in such vulnerability on a public stage. But I think right now it's necessary for because people just don't have an understanding of what others experience. And I think 
one of the main goals of the Bexley Anti-Racism Project is to educate and mobilize and obviously amplify those experiences. It's education and amplification. They go hand in hand. You amplify the voices of students of marginalized backgrounds in order to educate the broader community on the challenges that they face. And I think that certainly happened at the event. I I was struck both by the personal and intense nature of the speeches that were given by former Bexley students, as well as the incredible organizing skills that it took to put that march together. You know, the water was there, the route was set. The whole thing was clearly really well organized. And were you a part of that organizing team? Yeah, I mean, we all had a hand in planning the event, most definitely, and publicizing it as well. I think a lot of its success can be attributed to the community as well. It was people in the organization's parents who provided water, snacks, or food. And also, Ms. Johnstein had a large role in getting the mayor involved and organizing the logistics of it. In the weeks and months that followed that rally, which was a very, very powerful voice of the community saying, we care about this issue and this matters. How how have things gone since then? Like, what's the forward momentum or lack thereof that you've seen since that initial kickoff? We really set a high expectation. I feel like with that event, there were just so many people and it was so successful and people left feeling invigorated, inspired, and wanting to take action. That's hard to maintain, definitely. But I would say in regard to momentum, it's not as public now, the work that we do. It's more behind the scenes work and it's getting in and working with the district administrators and school board members and meeting with Dr. Good, who is the interim superintendent, as well as Ms. Robbins to talk about how we are going to implement the change that we want to see and even working to create that change. Yeah, one of the things that I think has been clear as someone who works in the school district is that becoming anti-racist in our approach to education has become a priority. I mean, it's spoken of consistently in professional development, in staff meetings, in district communications, in district programming. Do you feel like the district has taken this on in a way that, that's been satisfying to you? Obviously, there's a long it's a long road. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a never-ending road. But uh, do you feel like that, that the level of prioritization of this work has shifted significantly? I believe so. And I believe that we play an important role. Julia Miracle is a member of our organization who works as part of our professional development team with the teachers directly. And she's organized a number of workshops that have been received very well. And I think that's important, just inserting the student voice as much as possible to provide the perspective that teachers need to understand what the students face. That's important and that's ongoing as well. I serve as a member on the Bexley City Schools Anti-Racism Task Force. And our job right now, as a member of the policy committee of that task force, we are looking to other districts who already have anti-racist policy in place and picking that apart and looking at what will fit best in our district and starting from scratch really to implement that kind of policy so we can act in response to it. The timeline is longer than we want to see because I feel like as a black student, it's a former student at Bexley High School, I want to approach this with a sense of urgency and I want to see the change happen instantaneously, but that's not necessarily how it works, even though that 
doesn't mean the district isn't prioritizing this Yeah, it's, it's a difficult <laughs> thing because the need is urgent, but the process mm-hmm. is slow. And it is very, very and this is, you know, this is kind of an age old challenge with work in anti-racism. I mean, the whole letter from a Birmingham jail was mm-hmm. Dr. King saying this is urgent. And for people who are advocating gradualism or let's, yeah. you know, it's like there's no time for gradualism when people's mm-hmm. lives are on the line. It's, Absolutely. And I mean, I definitely share that same sentiment. And ultimately, my goal is to create change that's tangible and that's in effect for my youngest sister. Her name is Isabella. She's in Montrose right now. And I want her to feel supported and maybe not share some of the negative experience that I associate to my time as a minority in Bexley. I want to turn for a moment to your skills that you've had to apply to this work. And so you've obviously done a lot of public speaking, a lot of organizing. Now you're talking about policy work and looking at legal documents. As you think about the skills you've had to apply, what do you think have been the most important skills you've had to bring to your work as an activist? Definitely public speaking and being comfortable speaking in front of a larger audience and understanding what people are most receptive to hearing or what is engaging, what will provide them insight to my experience. And that can be anecdotal, that can be statistical. It takes a number of different forms, but I think it's important to overcome any fear that I have in doing that to better impact other people and shape their perception of the world around them because people simply don't have that knowledge or understanding unless you give it to them. Did you learn these skills in school or were these totally separate? Like the public speaking or the persuasive communication, was that kind of part of your education or is it separate from your education? You learn that not necessarily through formal education. I think that's a skill that I've just cultivated over time and maybe in part to leadership positions I've held outside of class. Like I've always been involved in student council and executive positions. And even at Ohio State, I'm on the executive board of the Moral Scholars program. A lot of my skill set has been supported or I've been able to practice those skills in those settings. So extracurricular. Yeah, that's really interesting because I find that a lot where I think some, some of the most important skills that kids develop, whether it's for activism, whether it's for business, whether it's for politics, whether it's happens in the extracurricular Mm -hmm. part of students' experience. Even collaboration skills or communication skills or teamwork skills happen in sports or, you know, organization skills happen in student council. And it's interesting because we have students do this whole long educational process, and a lot of the most important things they learn happen outside of that. I agree. And that's why I related our march to like a sporting event, because that's what it felt like to me. It was sharing a goal and working together to accomplish that goal. And it's just the collective nature of the activism that has reminded me in a lot of ways of growing up practicing and playing in games and just that feeling of like winning a big game that was really challenging and your competition was greater than you expected. That's what that was like. It felt like we had won something. Although the work was just starting, it felt like a good place to start from. Yeah, it was, it was a great first game of the season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I think a lot about um, when I think about activism, and I've worked with a lot of students who have gone on to do a lot of activism, is I was invited to do some work in the 90s through Ohio State and the Mershon Center for International Relations. And we were working with emerging democracies. So basically, 
I was a social studies teacher and I was working with teachers in other countries that were newly formed democracies. So places like Poland after the uh, fall of the Soviet Union, places like Ukraine, uh, South Africa after apartheid. And the program that I was working on was bringing American teachers to those places and bringing those teachers to America to work with them on how do you educate kids to be citizens in a democracy? Now you have a new democracy. How do we do that? And one of the things that really struck me, and it was a very difficult realization, was when I looked at our practices in schools, I wondered, are we really running our schools in a way that's training kids to be active citizens in a democracy? Or are we, in many ways, not doing that at all? Maybe the opposite of that. I mean, are we, have we created schools where kids are mostly listening, not talking, where kids are mostly following mm-hmm. the leads of adults, not taking their own independent lead, where kids are mostly doing what they're told by an authority and have a little voice in making change in their own, in their own schools or in their own communities? And I had a little bit of imposter syndrome. I thought maybe we're not really equipped to help you think about how to educate citizens in a democracy because maybe we're not doing a great job of that in our own schools. That's a really interesting thought. And maybe I agree. (laughs) Is that (laughs) controversial? I think that a huge piece of this work comes from collaboration and students feeling as though their voice does matter and that what they say isn't just an afterthought. What would a school look like if it were trying to prepare kids to be an activist? Mm. What would its social studies education look like if kids were being trained to be active participants in a democracy, not just somebody who shows up once every two or four years and votes. Yeah, I definitely believe that the student voice should be the priority and allowing them the space to contemplate different ideas, even if they're wrong. I think it's important that they feel comfortable using their voice and articulating their thought in a way that allows them to challenge preconceived notions about the way things are or maybe should be in their own opinion. I took a course at Ohio State. This has been by far the most influential course that I've taken. It was with Dr. Jeffries, Civil Rights and Black Power Movements, and it reshaped the way that I thought about my own history. In his class, it was a lot of debating. There are a lot of open-ended reflection essays, and I think the ability that I had to think freely in a way that wasn't restricted by an instructor was really helpful for me to understand my own role in society and how I wanted to navigate the world after my formal education. It put me on a new direction in my life, I would say. Yeah, and I think that's really powerful. I always come back to as a, as a secondary social studies teacher, What if we designed the secondary social studies experience to actually actively train kids to be activists, to actually intentionally develop the kind of skills, the kind of habits, the kind of attitudes that would lead our kids to be really active participants in a democracy? And what would that curriculum look like? What would kids be doing in school Mm. so that this idea that, well, maybe an extracurricular is if you happen to be the person who does extracurriculars, you'll learn some of these things and you can become an activist. Or maybe you'll take a specialty course in college from a really amazing professor like like Dr. Mm -hmm. Jeffries. But could we organize our schools in a way that every kid was getting exposed to and challenged to think about what they care about and to learn to start taking action on issues that matter to them and to develop the skills of activism so that our kids are all getting exposed to the power of and the skills of activism. I think that's a brilliant idea. And I think structuring a course that 
has the ability to introduce students to a range of social issues while also teaching skills like time management, organization, communication would all function to create activists in real time. And I think with the resources that you have in school, it's more accessible for students to dive deeper and find what they're passionate about and then use, I don't know, staff or even like resources, research resources offered through the library to really harness their passion and make the most of it. I feel like out of school, it's difficult to know where to turn or find people to talk to about what you're most passionate about and how you can go about materializing some of that passion in a tangible way. But I think within the school, you have a better chance of doing that. And I think it would be a good opportunity for students to have guidance in that process. Yeah, I think about the words engage, equip, empower, which Bexley Mm -hmm. has put forth as its mantra. And I think what engages, equips, and empowers a kid more than giving them opportunities to be an activist, to try to take action on something they care about? Obviously, over this last year, you probably have grown in tremendous ways through this experience. I was able to engage with myself in a way that I haven't before. How do you feel differently about yourself or about your future having Mm. done this work? So through the project, I was able to connect with the SWELL Scholars Program, which is a program that supports minority students pursuing careers in the legal field. And I mean, that's exactly what I want to do. And I think also working now on anti-racist policy for the district is refining my focus a bit as well. I am right now still a political science major, but I'm definitely thinking about switching to public affairs and focusing in on leadership, management, and policy. I think it speaks to exactly what I'm doing outside of school, so I should definitely formalize that skill set. It's definitely helping me recognize which skills I do have and how to best apply them. And listening to you makes me think about why experiential learning is so important. Part of the power of it is not only the skills you develop, but it's also figuring out what do I love? What am I good Mm -hmm. at? What lights me up? What not so much? And I think those experiences give you the self-knowledge that can open up clearer paths about what you want your future to be. Absolutely. The experience I have gained and am currently gaining by working with administrators and school board members on anti-racist policy has allowed me the opportunity to refine my research skills and understand the importance of them because I want to find the best policy so that it has the best impact on the district that my sister will be growing up in. Like It matters to me so much right now and I didn't realize how passionate I was maybe, but I didn't know it was policy. That's maybe where my passion lies. But now that I have the experience of working within that field, I'm coming to understand that it's the perfect mix of everything that I do like to do. And I loved hearing you talk about that because you use the word experience so many times and the word matters so many times. And here at Experience Matters, we believe experience (laughs) matters. And you really really capture that. And I think when students are doing things that matter to them, that they really care about, that Mm -hmm. they're invested in, it's a whole other kind of learning. It's a total, it's a game changer. And it doesn't feel like work. I've had a really difficult semester. I became very sick. I had COVID at the start of September. And after that, I ended up in the hospital for a week. I was able to continue working through my illness, and that was difficult, but it didn't feel like work. So I didn't struggle to attend meetings for BARP as opposed to 
schoolwork, like schoolwork. I was like, oh, like I really like <laughs> don't feel up to doing this. And I didn't, but the work with Barb didn't feel so much like work. It just felt like something that I was meant to be doing and that I didn't really have the time not to be doing. Yeah. And I think you're making a hugely important distinction too, which is oftentimes work, you know, we think about work, I have schoolwork, it's drudgery, labor, I have to do mm-hmm. this. But when you're doing meaningful work that you care about, it, it does not feel like work. It feels like right. uh, you're driven, you're excited, you're passionate, and you're working just as hard and you're learning just as much, if not more, but it, it's not feeling like a labor. It's feeling like a commitment to something that you care about. Yeah, I definitely agree with that and don't think I would have been capable of doing it had I not felt that way. Well, I, I, I want to tell you, I'm really, really proud of you and all the other students, especially former students that you have taken this on, that you've showed leadership. I'm always really excited when I see young people leading older people because they spend a lot of time having older people lead them. And now when the young people take the mic and sort of like bring new learning, new understanding, and then change to folks who have been around for a while, the teacher in me just lights up. (laughs) I think we have these preconceived notions that because students are younger, they don't have as much lived experience. They're not in the position to teach any type of lesson. But I don't agree with that. I think that the lived experience of a student is different because of the fact that they are a student and they're living with a different lens shaped by more limited experience. I don't necessarily think that's a drawback in any way. I think they have at times a more innocent perception of the world and maybe how things should be that isn't distorted by negative realities of the world and what older people have just grown accustomed to and understand as the way of life. Well, Kai, it's been such a pleasure talking with you and I'm so proud of you and all the folks in Barb for the work you're doing to make our community better and to make our world better. And Thank you very much for being on the program. Thank you for having me. It's been really nice to talk to you and to hear how passionate you are about experiential learning because I do also believe that it's so important and impactful and influential not only for the student but also for anyone the student comes in contact with. Experience Matters is recorded in Bexley, Ohio in the shadow of downtown Columbus. Our producer and sound engineer is Ezra Lewis, a junior at Bexley High School. Our killer theme music was written and performed by Isaac Rowe, a Bexley High School graduate and current music student at The Ohio State University. Experience Matters is supported by the Bexley Community Foundation and the Bexley Public Library. My name is Steve Shapiro, and you can look me up on Twitter at Stephen T. Shapiro or on my website at stephentshapiro.com. Here's a secret to life that I've shared with thousands of students and, of course, with my own children. There is no such thing as an interesting person There are just people who do interesting things. You can be one of them. All you have to do is seek out and say yes to new experiences.